This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your evil Hellraiser pinhead host, Javi. I can't no, nah, I can't do the voice. No. That voice is hard <laughs> to mimic. No, and yeah, I mean, it's also slightly different now, too. I know. Now, well, I mean, I love the effect they do later on in the movie. We'll get to it, but I don't Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to blow everything right now, but welcome everybody today. Welcome to another episode of Do We Like Movies? We're talking Hellraiser, baby. Yeah, the 2022 reboot. Um, so I guess Hulu's just going to be this place now. It's going to be the bring your city franchises over to us and we'll you know, get people that'll bring them back to some lore, some level of respectability. Um, I got to be totally honest, and people are probably not going to like me. <laughs> if you're a fan of the Hellraiser franchise, you're probably not going to like me because outside of the first two Hellraiser movies, and I barely remember the second one, I haven't watched any other movie in this franchise. Oh, and... no. <laughs> you're missing out on so much cinema. <laughs> well, this is the thing, too, about hellraiser is that it's one of those franchises that started off you know it's like a cinematic franchise and then later you know it when it's at dimension it falls into you know straight to video hell for like the latter half of the franchise it is like honestly i think even hellraiser fans will admit that the this franchise has more misses than hits and it's like yeah. one was good, two was pretty good, and then there's like eleven movies, maybe in the franchise mm-hmm. where, and they're all varying from like bad to like Rotten Tomatoes being thrown at Clive Barker for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I do know that this is a remake of. Well, not a remake. It's a reboot of the franchise. Um, and, you know, this much like Prey, you know, which uh, we haven't done on the show yet, but we will be doing pretty soon uh, because it's the second one of these who, who straight to Hulu like films. Like, honestly, they are both like. Like sequels, but not but not like direct sequels. Or like you know what I mean? Like it's 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 finding all the things that make you like this franchise and turning them into a new like a new episode, right? And I think that's that's kind of what this does. It, I mean, this franchise for those who have seen the original Hellraiser, um, it revolves around a character named Frank, who's you know he's a scumbag and he's also like I guess in search of pleasure, like just like. Like it's just the characters in this franchise are just obsessed with like, you know, finding the world's greatest pleasures. And and it's almost like it's weird. This franchise is like, 
I don't want to say it's anything because I don't know the BDSM community, so I'm not going to say that it's like that kind of stuff. But it just well, I mean, it was inspired in. by Clive Barker, his foray into rough sex in the BDSM community. So, I mean, there is something to like finding pleasure in pain and kind of how there's like a scary underbelly to that. And that's kind of like the whole point of Hellraiser is that. Mm-hmm. It's that inherent horror of deriving pleasure from pain and sadomasochism, um, specifically. <laughs> uh, the, and and I don't know. This movie, like, like it, it hits certain character tropes, right? Like it's always like you were saying. Like there's always a villain who is looking for the ultimate release. And you're trying not to make it sexual, but it always comes off super sexual. (laughs) And there's always a character that's kind of like more on the pure side, who's almost fighting against not just the corruption of the 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 villain, but also just like the the lament configuration itself, the the puzzle box. Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't know, it's weird where to me, at least in the original Hellraiser, um pinhead and the rest of the cenobites aren't really villains but they're not exactly side characters you know what i'm saying right they are more like they are like demons that are triggered by you know people messing with the lament configuration puzzle box uh, but then at the same time, like, you know, the fir- at least the first two movies in the franchise, you get uh, Christy, uh, Christy Singer, who's basically like the final girl in the original movie. And she's more of that pure character that you're talking about. Her uncle Frank is basically the human villain, human in quotes, uh, villain. And uh, the, un- you know, she- she's the one who ends up you know, defeating Frank, who's the actual villain, and then the Cenobites are the ones that basically banish and punish him to hell. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, You go to hell and you die. And, yeah, I feel so, yeah, the Cenobites, you know, as, as you said, they're not really the villains of the story. They are they are villains, but they're more, they're like, especially in this one, it's like they they're just, they show up for any really just anyone who's messing with the box mm-hmm. they don't kill indiscriminately and they don't punish indiscriminately it is it is related directly to the lament configuration and that's what's really interesting about hellraiser like the cenobites as opposed to any other monster movie monster where they just punish you for the sake of existing it's like the cenobites have very distinct rules um before they can even just go around just murdering people indiscriminately Mm -hmm. but once they do it's just yeah it's just everyone gets it and i just want to make sure lament configuration the the puzzle box the i remember in the first one is called the lament configuration right yeah and that kind of gets retconned in this movie it gets retconned in that there's more than one configuration. I don't know. I think lament sounds really cool. Like the lament configuration just sounds really cool. Yeah, the <laughs> lament configuration is the is the classic puzzle box. It's a classic square shape. Mm. And in this one, as opposed to like, I, I feel like there's like, it's it, it's more of a Rubik's cube in the original series. 
whereas in this one the configuration like causes like all these shape changes and and they do they they mess with the with the formula a little bit but in a way that someone like me who is a fan of the original movie but not necessarily the rest of the franchise i can i can dig it yeah that's the one thing i'll give credit for 2022 hellraiser they're just like hey you know that weird one where the spirit of a a world war ii fighter pilot is helping his great granddaughter fight pinhead yeah Mm. forget that bullshit (laughs) (laughs) we're we're this is just yeah this is just some like it and that's why it feels weird where it's not necessarily a reboot it's not necessarily a sequel um it's just another installment i think that's the easiest way to call it it's just kind of another installment of another uh in the hellraiser franchise right and for the sake of comparison between this and the original um the original one you know again as we mentioned frank is kind of the villain he is the one who who starts you know working on the lament configuration and uh once he like solves the puddle the puzzle uh that's when you know that's that's when he's basically like you know like ripped apart by chains (laughs) and uh then you know later on in the house where you know where this happens to frank his like brother and their family move in you know his brother's like i guess has like a second wife and it you know throughout the the course of the movie you find out that she had some sort of affair with frank before uh she was married to his brother and um and you know when when uh frank's brother basically accidentally like bleeds on the floor due to a cut that's when it like it starts bringing him back to life in this like bizarre (laughs) ugly like muscly bloody form and um you know it's like he is slowly being reanimated and like becoming a real boy again uh (laughs) from (laughs) i'm a real boy yeah from like uh his lovers like you know bringing men back into the house and killing them and allowing frank to kill them and basically absorb their light force did you rewatch the 87 hellraiser in preparation for this i didn't watch it this time but i have seen it fairly recently and uh, i mean we did an episode on it like right i remember doing i'm not lying to the listeners when i say we did an episode right like i remember doing an episode on this i don't know if we didn't no we didn't do an episode on hellraiser but i'm pretty sure we've talked about hellraiser before no i'm sure we did no i'm calling <laughs> bullshit on that we're making we're making things up stop stop gaslighting me on my podcast <laughs> i swear to god we did one i'm i'm looking right now you're gonna look so dumb when i find it all right so anyway um yeah it ends with it it ends with you know the banishment and death of frank and uh chrissy is the one who you know comes back to the franchise i guess twice i think she comes back in the second one and then i believe in the sixth movie in the franchise too so um so she just takes a random hiatus and doesn't come back till like six movies later well, kind of like the same thing as like Nev Campbell, Jamie Lee Curtis, and like all these in uh, Heather Langenkamp, like all the final girls, like do the first or first two movies, and then they take a bunch of movies off, and then like a decade later they come back and do like the reunion <laughs> movies. So, so <laughs> it can happen. But anyway, um, 
in this movie we're introduced to a different character really i mean like kind of like he feels a little bit like the frank stand-in for me uh it's roland voigt who is like the rich guy who owns this mansion where he's having like you know it's where he like meets joey who's one of the characters in our movie and um i don't know i feel like it, it just the roles are a little different and and i wish i had a better way of describing it but, no uh, he's the like yeah roland void is like the weird occultist uh rich guy like he's a stand-in for i guess like that kind of rich elite that we're all kind of if you're if you're on the internet, you know, whenever you're talking, whenever you hear someone start talking about the Illuminati and the elite, <laughs> Roland Void is kind of that. He fills in that that uh, that mind space because the idea is that he's one of those guys that's so fucking rich and so bored and has nothing to do with like the millions and millions of dollars he has. He'd that be going he to just, space with Jeff Bezos, basically. Essentially, yes, he is a he's pretty much elon musk if elon musk just started buying weird occult shit like you know like hitler <laughs> which you know testicle. we don't we don't know that elon musk isn't buying weird occult shit <laughs> i mean he could be i mean he could <laughs> buy a spell book so he can fucking make his hair not look so fake burn <laughs> suck it elon like uh, i don't know i'm sure i'm sure he doesn't listen to this Podcast, so oh, I am one thousand percent sure he will never listen to this podcast. Man, isn't it crazy? Like, like there, I have so many feuds in my head that were come out in this podcast that the other person doesn't know is a completely one sided feud. <laughs> <laughs> and me and Elon Musk is one of them. <laughs> but yeah, like you were saying, I guess yeah, like might as well get into it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like you were saying, um, the film opens up in somewhere in the Eastern Russian block of Eastern <laughs> Europe. <laughs> Which, okay, this is my, my first question. I can't wait till the movie started, like, or until we started talking about it. The movie doesn't take place in the U.S., right? I think it's supposed to, but it was shot in Serbia. But that's which, the thing. which is like, pretty common. It's pretty common. There's like a lot of like cheaper, lower budget horror movies are now being shot in like Romania or Bulgaria or like you know like all these like countries. So which I don't blame them. Those places look creepy by like normal, like, <laughs> yeah. normal standards. But it's one of those things. I I remember the title card that this movie opens up in like somewhere in like the eastern block like in in, in eastern probably I, you know what it is though like all these like movies that are associated with clive barker like this and we know I, we may have talked hellraiser when we did Candyman, the re mm -hmm. the reboot of Candyman, because i don't know for some reason these movies based on works of clive barker they have this feeling where it's like even if they're in country even if they're in a country that you know like mm -hmm. Hellraiser 1 or Candyman, like the original, like it still feels oddly it all, European. <laughs> it all bleeds together. And I think it's yeah. all because Clive Barker's British. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, it, it, it doesn't feel American. So maybe, I mean, honestly, I, I don't, I don't recall if this is supposed to take place in the US, but I mean, all the characters speak English and there's nothing, the there's nothing that feels ostensibly foreign about it except 
I guess just how it looks. Well, the only reason I don't think this movie takes place in the U.S. is because the the movie opens up with um, with uh, Roland Voigt's, uh I think it's his lawyer. I forget what her name is. Um, oh, God, there's only, oh, Serena, there we go. Uh, Serena Meneker. And she shows up and she does a deal where she picks up a briefcase where someone um pretty much asks like questions her loyalty to avoid uh and then that kind of cuts to uh her or to 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 this party right later that night where there where she's like goes to this bar and she recruits a young sex worker by the name of joey and introduces him to roland voigt um, which to which Joey thinks this is going to be a regular uh, meeting with uh, just a creepy rich asshole. Um, but when he gets taken to Roland's uh, giant hedonistic mansion in the middle of this eyes wide shut fuck party. Yeah. <laughs> eyes wide shut fuck party. Um, Make like, that a like, hashtag. Joey feels like a character that could be out of Lesson Zero. Like, yeah, it is. It is the depravity here is is interesting. It's like there's nothing. They're not. They're, there's nothing garish and like and, and and forcefully overtly sexual about it. But it's just clearly like it just it feels it feels like these are gross people. <laughs> you know, there is something something nasty going on behind those closed doors, right? Uh, yeah, so uh, Joey gets taken to uh, kind of like Voight's, I guess, museum part of the mansion. where mm-hmm. And this is where he first encounters the puzzle box, um, which at this point is not in its traditional puzzle box form. It's in a completely different like configuration, a different shape. Uh, Joey starts playing with it. And as he starts solving the configuration, and it, uh, he's, and he, as he thinks he gets it, he gets stabbed by this big blade that's like yes. hidden inside of the box. And this is something that isn't in the original movie. Like this is, this was a wrinkle that was added specifically for this film, which is mm-hmm. anytime somebody works on the puzzle box and solves the puzzle box, it jabs you. And what I mean, and, and you were not joking when you said it's a big blade. Like if you if you're using the palm of your hand to force something shut, like this knife will go through your hand completely. Yeah, because that's what happens to Joey. It goes like all the yeah. way through his hand. <laughs> And as he screams in pain, Roland Voigt comes and takes the configuration from his hand. And as he puts down the, uh, as he puts down the, uh, the configuration, a portal opens and it kind of happens a bit off screen, but you start seeing the beginning um, mm-hmm. in this really weird soft focus uh, where like you can see Joey gets impaled by chains and the chains pull him up and you're left to assume that the portal to whatever pain dimension the uh the cenobites are from is open and that they're here to claim his soul oh yeah you would you were left to assume that they are completely franking his ass like he will be ripped apart by those chains franking his ass (laughs) he just screams jesus wept as he explodes into like blood and (laughs) organs 
But yeah, it, as uh, as Joey gets ripped apart by the chains, uh, Voight demands uh, to speak to Leviathan. Um, and then, of course, if you are, it depends if you if you read with the if you read the Catholic Christian mythology, uh, you're familiar with Leviathan as just this big ass demon that you know is that's somewhere in hell. It's also kind of a, a name that's been used to for the devil in the past. It's yeah, it's mm-hmm. you know, you you know you're dealing with like some demons and angels and shit like that. Well yeah, Hellraiser. In case in case the name <laughs> Hellraiser doesn't give it away. And even though it doesn't feel there's nothing like objectively Christian about it. Yeah, I think you even mentioned it in the original like one. There's the moment where Frank uh, says Jesus wept in like their really creepy voice. And it's it definitely makes references to Christian, you know, ideas of hell and heaven. But Mm -hmm. and so we get a title card saying six years later and we get introduced to uh riley and her boyfriend matt who are in the middle of doing the no pants dance and uh matt does we could just say they're having sex no it's funnier when it's funnier when i don't when i it's when funnier i choose to... when you talk like you're like a 12 year old no or or like if you're like someone who's time traveled from the 50s where you're not allowed to say the word sex in movies <laughs> where you can't be sick yeah like i'm just gonna keep using every other form of you know sex i can think of like bone zone bone train something with a third thing with bone in it <laughs> but yeah you know they're in the middle of coitus when uh matt commits a a mistake that many a man have on several occasions when you're in the throes of passion you accidentally tell your hookup you love them <laughs> <laughs> apparently instant mood killer for riley <laughs> yeah and uh, as soon as uh, as soon as he uh accidentally professes love to her uh they immediately stop get dressed and as uh they're kind of leaving the room we get introduced to riley's roommates who include her brother uh matt his boyfriend colin and their roommate nora uh who awkwardly kind of just were in the living room listening to them like very loud sex (laughs) like that's just an awkward situation for everyone involved oh yeah i mean i wouldn't do it but but i mean the other thing that you find out pretty quickly is that riley has a bit of an uneasy relationship with her brother and probably this entire group of friends and and part of the reason why is because she is a you know former well she's an addict who 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 has frequently relapses mm-hmm. and her brother um and maybe his friends you're left to assume are all like recovering addicts i don't know i didn't get that vibe i definitely got the vibe that she was in recovery and i think they even say that she was about six months in recovery Um, matt is in recovery though i think they did mention that specifically do they yeah because i don't i don't i don't know if i don't i don't you're probably right i don't think anyone else is but i'm pretty certain matt is because the vibe i got was matt was the brother that has his stuff together and he's like big you know like he's trying to be there to help his sister and like try to get her try to get her sober um 
But yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if the I might have missed a line where he said he was in recovery too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's right right away it's revealed um that she's uh someone that's unreliable. You find out that she hasn't had she hasn't been able to hold down a job. Um, and that Matt, although cares for her, is also having kind of a hard time justifying keeping her in their apartment. Yeah, it's the difficulty of, you know, wanting to care for someone who's an addict, right? You want to do what they can to help themselves. You wish you could do it for them. But in many ways, it's just they, there's nothing they can really do. And, th- um, and this is where it becomes... Because I remember reading that a lot of people, a lot of a lot of people that have read the or that watched this film find Riley very unlikable in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and I can see why. Like because she's also not really at her best version of herself in the beginning of the film. Um, so I yeah, it was one of those. Um, it's one of those things though that you start seeing a, that you've been seeing a lot in horror movies as of late, where they're adding like these layers and it's the social commentary part right mm-hmm. um where here riley is a recovering we, i can only assume opioid addict um meanwhile and you know like i can't help but think about other movies that we've reviewed or that we've watched where there's a lot more of that social commentary like how in the new texas chainsaw massacre on um on netflix like the final girl's a survivor of a school shooting or mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think what else ah why am i blanking on other stuff but yeah like that like there's more of this updated kind of like grounding these characters more in reality by dealing with stuff that we actually deal with uh, or like on hereditary you know one of the big things in that is that it's a very dysfunctional family dealing with trauma and loss as it just so happens there's also a, a witch coven involved there yeah yeah it's it's very common now that we're we're like we're using horror movies to deal with like problems of the human condition which has always been like a theme in horror movies but i feel like right now we're just in a wave where it's just so prevalent (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's probably not going away anytime soon no no especially now that we're going to continue to see like the mental effects of us getting out of this pandemic (laughs) yeah for real so as um so after this um riley goes and uh she spends time with trevor she tries to you know she opens up kind of about her her problems with money and how she needs to find a job um and i think i think that oh right before this is we find out that trevor and uh riley actually met in a uh recovery support group which right right that's who it was okay so i got matt and trevor mixed up sorry so you were right matt matt is not a recovering addict it is strictly riley and trevor yeah because that's what matt i remember matt yells at riley like who goes to a recovery group to and starts hooking up with somebody which very common if you talk to any say you know therapist they'll tell you if you're in recovery do not go and get in a relationship with someone else in recovery because then you start becoming codependent on each other as far as like maintaining your sobriety and it's just yeah, uh, yeah and as someone one. who's had experience in 12-step programs i'll tell you that even for those those people in 12-step programs who aren't meeting other people in 12-step programs they still tell you don't make any major life changes when you're like 
you know, very early in sobriety. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Riley talking to Trevor about her problems with Matt uh, starts mentioning that she needs money. Trevor happens to drop a uh, tidbit of information that he runs. I guess his job is he delivers art for rich people in the area from the port. And yes. he, to- he tells his story of an abandoned warehouse where no one touches, but that there's a crate in there and that he's left to assume whatever's in there is going to be worth like millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So uh, he kind of entices uh, Riley with that, uh, whom has a argument with Matt at a later point which kind of pushes her over the edge after um, after the, I forget what he says exactly, but um, she becomes very determined of making money. So she joins him one night and uh, ends up breaking sobriety after he offers him, or after she gets offered alcohol from Trevor, mm-hmm. uh, she ends up drinking. They end up breaking into the warehouse and after smashing open a lock or as they uh, come into the giant container crate you, all you see is a safe in the middle of it and after breaking the lock open on the on the safe there's another box within the safe <laughs> and i think trevor even makes the joke about boxes inside of boxes mm-hmm. and then finally when you open it you get uh revealed uh the puzzle box uh from way back in the beginning of the film uh, of course, they don't know what it is at this point. Um, so Riley just kind of keeps it while Trevor says that he'll try to find someone uh, they can sell it to, thinking that it's an artifact and it must be worth something. So later that, I think it's uh, later that night, um, Riley returns home uh, completely drunk uh, after spending more time with Trevor and uh, and Matt wakes up uh, and greets her, or waiting for her at the door. Uh, and this leads to a very intense argument with the two. Uh, an argument that feels a little bit too real and is actually the true horror of this movie. <laughs> well, you said hereditary, right? And that's yeah. what I mean. It's like hereditary is like definitely introduced the idea of us having these highly uncomfortable familiar familial fights <laughs> in horror films, which I don't think we've ever like seen to this degree before. No, man. And I know some people miss the old days of just having like hatchet, but I love I love shit like this. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, once this they get through this argument, you know, he basically just tells Riley to get out mm-hmm. and Riley leaves and she, you know, has to spend the night in her car. Um, and it's just like you spend this time like lingering on her, preparing to fall asleep in her car. And then next thing you know, she ends up like on this like playground you know well, that's that, nearby well that's what it was right she goes into her car she finds old pills and she has a moment where she's like fuck this i don't need drugs and she like throws him yeah and only to go back looking for him and like picking through the cobblestone <laughs> in the road i was just like no girl no it's yeah that's the rough part because it's like it's it's a sure it's a little on the nose that you and it's and it is a little much like looking at this but you know for those of us who understand the realities of addiction it's definitely again it hits too hard sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's but it's again it's an interesting way of, of of telling this story in a new way 
And it's interesting because in the first original, in 87 Hellraiser, Christie's also, like I mentioned, very pure, very innocent at like character comparatively, right? And then uh, by horror movie tropes and standards, you got Riley already like, already someone that's in recovery in the middle of relapse and uh, has been bone zoning her like douchebag boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like we finally reached the point in horror movies and slasher movies where we're no longer punishing people for not being virgins anymore. <laughs> yeah, like we're definitely yeah, we celebrate them for being being awesome. It, like it, it has become more sex positive. And even in something like It Follows where sex is like such a main part of the film, we're still not we're, we're not judging uh you know the heroines in our story for um for doing this yeah but, we don't um, slut shame here we slut celebrate but you know funny enough even though <laughs> you like, for not we... laughing at that one <laughs> 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 but uh but originally what i was gonna say was it's interesting because this movie instead of tackling the hedonism of like sex and the taboo behind um bdsm and like bondage and stuff like that like in the first movie this one is going more through the addiction route where you have a character like Roland Voigt who's looking for the ultimate pleasure and like in um, engages in this excess when um, when and then in, the, in that same film you have a character like Riley who's showing the consequences of living that lifestyle where you're always looking for the next high you're always looking for the next hit yeah or and you're always chasing the feeling of the first time that you tried something Mm -hmm. and like the experience is so life-changing the first time you try that substance that you're basically just chasing that feeling forever and most people you know who are recovering from any kind of addiction will tell you that uh it's a feeling that they never find and in fact everything that they do is in the opposite so so it's 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 a really interesting way of getting into this so it's like she's not christy she's not frank it's Mm -hmm. it 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 changes the dynamic of this actually you know what it reminded me of in some ways is uh, the 2021 Candyman movie where as opposed to like the where the main character in that movie you know becomes an unwilling like vessel of mm-hmm. the evil Riley kind of does as well and it's not something that she intends it's not like you know it, it's not like she's like you know been pulled apart and needs someone to come and and start and start putting her back together you know what i mean like that's true, it's yeah. it's more like she is actually doesn't you know uh like she doesn't have the julia character that's killing for her but in some ways you know she becomes the unwilling passenger to like the death that is going to occur so what she does is she puts the puzzle box together but because of the way that she held it when the big blade comes out it misses her so the Cenobites are not going to come to collect on, you know, on her because she didn't bleed on the box. And um, but she is still going to see them. And mm-hmm. the puzzle box is going to continue to follow her around. And everyone who ends up getting, you know, getting pierced by the blade will die. And, you know, it does feel like the character in Candyman, where it's like what he's actually looking for is the answers as to what, you know, what this is, why this is you know and and the curiosity of it is is what causes like candy man to return in many ways this is like riley trying to actually 
you know, change and not be the person who, who, you know, who ruins everyone's life around her. And it starts with Matt, right? Matt is mm-hmm. the first one who gets pierced by the puzzle box after she is missed by it. And, um, you know, he's, he's murdered off screen from her at least. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she's like, you know, the one who's looking for him and, or like trying to figure out like what it was that happened to him and you know everyone around thinks that he's actually missing or that Mm -hmm. you know it's her fault for you know him being gone or dead or whatever and you know it it pulls into some things as well like the the thing that we hadn't mentioned is that matt or i don't know if we did mention it but matt is gay Mm -hmm. and um his partner is also male right yeah you're right and uh so yeah so he is his male partner and i think in some ways it's really unfortunate like just uh, Mm -hmm. it makes me sad just thinking about it even now but you know the 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 kind of panic and fear that they get when matt is you know nowhere to be found is almost like uh you know it's like it's like we don't we're not going to believe that it's some sort of demon box that did it it's very likely that someone killed him Mm -hmm. or that he's gone missing somehow and you know for those of us who live in the real world like um, there, it is very unfortunate and very tragic that so many people in the LGBTQ community are kidnapped and murdered, like mm-hmm. in in ways. And because, you know, because they are who they are, it's it's one of those things where where it's it shouldn't be normalized, but it just mm-hmm. it commonly occurs, which is unfortunate. Unfortunately, the term the less dead exists for a reason. Yes. Um and yeah, like it breaks your heart. There's that scene where when after Riley and Matt have the fight, and then Riley starts going to her car, and like uh, Colin's out waiting outside, like smoking a cigarette, and he's just like, "Please don't go." He's like, "Just stay, just stay the night." You know, you bo- you both are just saying things you don't you don't mean right now. Like, mm-hmm. just please talk it over in the morning. And she's like, "No, like we can't do anything about it." And then like the next day when they're confronting right or when when colin's confronting riley and he's just like i told you to stay why didn't you just listen to me none of this would have happened you're just like i mean yeah like what if what mm-hmm. if she had made that decision to just stay that stay at home mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe matt would still be there it's one of those wild like you just can't help but feel for him because you can he's just someone caught in the crossfire like caught in the middle of all this um and yeah, like you were saying, um, you know, they 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 have those like Nora and Colin are trying to are trying to get a hold of the police, but the police won't take anything serious until Matt's been uh, gone for at least two days. So um, meanwhile, Riley um, wants to learn more about the origins of the box, so she presses Trevor for it, mm-hmm. uh, who. I forget how exactly it was that they got the name of uh, of uh, of uh, Meniker of um, Voight's uh, lawyer, but they end up uh, getting a hold of her something through. I think they found out that her name was like on the warehouse that uh, the the puzzle box was found in. Mm-hmm. So they track her down to like this old folks home. It looks like a kind of like a respite or yeah, like it actually looks like kind of either respite care or even like hospice. 
because uh serena even says at one point that she's like she's raw like half her lungs are rotted so she's gonna die anyway. yes and it was like in this real like cold eastern european way but, <laughs> but essentially she reveals that um she reveals that Voight is like this occultist and uh that the puzzle box is responsible for uh, Matt's disappearance. Um, and she tries to take the box from Riley, uh, saying that she's going to like dispose of it. And after they have kind of like a struggle for the box, uh, Riley accidentally cuts Menneker with it. And uh, as she's like bleeding, uh, she ends up running away with Trevor Um uh, and uh and the lawyer's taken to the to the hospital wing wherein we we finally get to see a little bit of a little bit more of the cenobites at this point Mm -hmm. and uh like the 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 hospital ends up turning into like this stone like uh labyrinth and there's like these really creepy shadows and then you get, you know, the, the Cenobites are revealed where they still look humanoid, but unlike the first movie where they are in the 87 Hellraiser where they're like clad all, in leather. Yeah, they're all clad in leather. It's like their flesh gets ripped off their body and gets mm-hmm. flayed out into these really intricate like forms of clothing. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost so. So there's a lot of like, I guess, body modification, like allusions to mm-hmm. how Cenobites end up the way they are in the original. And this one just takes it a step further where it's like their body modification, as you said, is like literally just like there are patterns of exposed flesh that all of them have. <laughs> and just yeah. like the different machinations that are around their heads, like. You know, I, I do appreciate that they brought back the chatter, the chatterer. <laughs> yeah, which is like the, the the one whose teeth are clack constantly clacking. So, outside of the priest, who is you know, in this one there is no pinhead. That this character is only referred to as the priest. Uh, we get the priest and we get the chatterer, uh, which I think are the main two that are that were in the uh, previous series. And they introduce a new one that I don't remember the name of the of the. Uh, I think it was the mother, the one that looks like it has the uh, the nun's habit, like made mm-hmm. out of flesh, which looked gross as shit, but really cool. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, there's all there. There are a lot of like really creepy ones. Um, but yeah, Serena Meneker ends up getting killed in this pain dimension. But it's always interesting, much like Matt, once uh, Trevor follows up about uh, Meneker no one can find her it's one of those things where it's like people just disappear um so now that's two people that have been uh disappeared by the box and as we see the configuration changes every time going from the puzzle box to more like a uh trapezoidal thing (laughs) which then gets changed again and um at this point riley becomes very obsessed with the uh obsessed with the box and the cenobites and starts looking into lore and tries to track down as much information as she can about uh void uh to the point of of visiting his old mansion um and getting his old journals where she finds all the information on the different configurations and what they do and 
where she learns that every configuration needs a marked victim, like you were saying about drawing blood from people every time uh, the puzzle gets solved, uh, and it would stab the person solving it, marking them for death by the Cenobites, which then makes them a, a sacrifice. And that on the final configuration, the Leviathan, um, whoever solves it, the holder can receive a gift uh, based on one of the seven configurations of the puzzle, uh, puzzle box. Um, at that point, uh, Riley sees, uh, starts seeing a lot of these spirits, or starts seeing a lot of like the Cenobites in her in the real in in the real world. Um, kind of like really hammering home the bond she now has with this box. Like at one point having a vision of seeing Matt um, and when she goes to hug him to like promise that she's going to get him back, like she starts running her hand like on his exposed like backbone and spinal cord looking all gross and shit. <laughs> only to see him like be completely flayed by the, by the Cenobites. Uh, there's one where she's hooking up with Trevor and then she ends up seeing, I think it was the chatterer um, while they're like doing it, which also like freaks her out. So it's like more and more the, the hold of the box is like, or the box is taking more uh, hold on uh, mm-hmm. more of a hold on her. So at that point, um, when she starts explaining everything to, uh, she starts explaining everything to Trevor, Colin, Nora. Um, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I remember. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was like trying to figure stuff out because all this is happening while they're at, the, at Voight's house. So mm-hmm. when they're ready to leave, uh, this is where we find out that uh, Void is actually still alive. Um, only having gone missing in the last like uh, six years. Uh, and he's has like this series of tunnels inside of his weird fuck <laughs> like room. It is yeah. Fucking rich people in their weird fucking houses, my god. The weird fuck tunnels. I got yeah. you. <laughs> so uh while they're like investigating the house, Nora ends up opening one of the trap doors and walks through, and while she's like running or while she's like following around and investigating these tunnels she ends up getting stabbed by uh by Voight who uses the box um when the uh group is trying to escape from the mansion they uh load Nora into a uh a bus or I mean a bus a van and as they're trying to escape you know they do these really cool effects where it's like as they're driving into the as they're driving through the forest everything behind them looks like the stone labyrinth and it's like starts uh like zooming out kind of elongating the shot making it look uh like the van is warping as Nora is starting to kind of go into this weird pain dimension yeah no it's really cool it it really does feel like this fits in the same universe as the first two hellraiser movies even though the characters are different and clearly the cenobites are different Mm -hmm. it's you know the director of this movie most definitely captured kind of like that as you said the labyrinthian you know chain dungeon look of like all those like stone walled like mazes the i think the only thing 
did it include even the grates with like like you know with like the light coming through i don't know but it but it's pretty close in in design and style to to the way these things looked in 87 for real and then and in um, the second hellraiser too because the second one is where they do kind of go into the cenobite dimension and spend more time there i hear that's the one where it kind of falls though like it kind of falls off because the it just doesn't live up to the same way it did in the first it's one. not as good as the first one but uh-huh. you know christy is the one that goes into the cenobite dimension and uh it's kind of like the second poltergeist movie where they actually go to the other side uh-huh. it's like slightly disappointing but it's one of those things where like i did want to see what it looked like <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're like i look better in my mind <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, at this point, she gets on. She ends up disappearing from the van, uh, where she's kind of taken to this uh, pain dimension again, where immediately she gets uh, strung up by the chains and uh, she gets taunted by. We uh, revealed uh, to the priest, who in this, like you were mentioning earlier, who in this film kind of is the stand-in for the new uh, pinhead. And so she like removes one of her nails from her head and like shoves it in Nora's eye. I'm just like, so so the Cenobites eventually uh, kill her um, after promising that uh, her suffering is only beginning. Um, But then it's like, as she dies, she disappears, like her body disappears, but like, I guess the blood and gore is still in the back of the van because everyone turns around and freaks out which then causes uh, everyone to kind of crash. <laughs> so after, um, you know, so after Nora gets killed uh, and after they crash, uh, every, you know, the, the group tries to walk back to the mansion. Uh, there, Riley encounters the priest herself, um, who essentially, who, who tells Riley, like the priest, uh, commands Riley to sacrifice two more souls in order for her to get her brother back, uh, to which Riley refuses to do. Um, the Cenobites end up attacking after uh, Trevor gets hurt. And uh, the, actually, the Chatterer is the one that tries to attack them both, kind of pinning Riley and Trevor to a wall using, uh, using the, the gate. And as he, the chatterer is trying to like bite through and like gnaw on uh, Trevor, uh, Riley's able to finish uh, the configuration, pop the blade out, and uses it to stab the chatterer. And the chatterer immediately stops, walks away very calmly, and just like stands before the priest and just gets ripped apart. <laughs> And this like red mist effect that just looks so fucking cool. Uh, so at this point, um, but what this teaches Riley and the rest of the group is that actually they have a way to fight it back against the Cenobites and can actually sacrifice uh, them. Which is a great, it's a great final girl tool, like learning that you can use the rules against them. Mm-hmm. So they get back to the mansion. They try to come up with a plan um, to use the steel doors designed. um, Trying to use the the steel doors that Voight has all over his mansion, which uh, is revealed that that keeps the Cenobites out. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Riley and Colin uh, leave Trevor uh, while they try to like come up with a way to 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 kind of defend themselves against the Cenobites. Uh, and it's at this point where we find out Trevor and Voight actually know each other. A very good misdirect. I absolutely, absolutely wasn't expending. I wasn't expecting it at all. And I remember because my wife does not want to watch horror movies, and because my <laughs> daughter like cannot watch this movie at all. I was watching it on my phone, and I think I audibly said, "Oh wow!" Like, mm-hmm. and my wife just like looked at me and said, "What?" And I was like, "I was like, I wasn't expecting this," mm-hmm. and just I was genuinely surprised that they did like this misdirect thing, where yeah, of course, they were Voight and and. And Trevor like know each other and Trevor essentially is the you know he's the Julie character uh from it, it is it is very much like Frank <laughs> you know what I mean like like yeah it's it's now you're bringing he's the one that's luring in the bait for the rest of the Cenobites and when you think about it it's probably it's a little it's fucked up Right, because that probably means that Trevor is going to these places where there's already people suffering from like real life problems. It's more painful when Trevor does it because in the original one, Julia, who is like looking to screw Frank again, mm-hmm. like her her horniness is what causes her to go to bars and bring strange men to the house for Frank to kill them. You know what I mean? Like she she comes in to trap them. Whereas, like in this, it, it it yeah, it hits harder and it feels harsher because of what you said. It's like now you have a guy that's probably going to find addicts and other people who, as you you said, probably do in some ways count as the lesser dead, right? Like people who have, you know, dealt with addiction have probably pushed away most of the people that have cared about them in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, are now going to be like you know set up for death and you know who will actually look for them after they've died and uh yeah that's essentially what trevor is doing because riley is one of these people that has pushed everyone away and you know has has had chronic relapses back to her addiction Mm -hmm. at this point riley and colin are able to trap one of the cenobites um planning to use it as the last sacrifice but then suddenly a void appears uh, taking the configuration from Riley and stabbing Colin, mm-hmm. um, marking him as the sacrifice. Um, at this point, he traps all the Cenobites in different parts of the house, and he reveals to uh, he reveals to Riley that um, he was looking for the ultimate pleasure uh, and wanted to feel new sensations or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like when we get introduced to Vought, you see he has what I can only describe as like a weird harp looking thing, like lodged inside of his chest and like going through his back. And so he reveals that when he told the Leviathan what he wanted, which was to feel, uh, you know, feel uh, these sensations he essentially got stabbed with this machine that made it so he can never feels numb and is in constant pain. (laughs) (laughs) So you realize right away is that if you do finish the configuration, you finish the, and you complete the ritual, that's a real monkey's paw situation where what you wish is going to be used against you. So, um, 
it yeah the 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 machine ends up twisting all his uh nerve endings so he's constantly um just constantly hurt and as he traps the Cenobites, he demands uh, that he wants to speak uh, to Leviathan to take away the gift. Um, the Leviathan appears again, like it did in the beginning of the film, looking kind of like, to I don't know, to me, it looked like an upside down pyramid. What did you see? <laughs> yeah, it did. And and I that that like imagery again, it, it's it to me it was straight out of Hellraiser two. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that what uh, they try to make the dimension look more like? If I remember, it kind of looked like that. It just mm-hmm. looked like pyramids in the middle of like white mist machines, like mm-hmm. so. Um, Riley is able to kind of escape where the um, where the uh, what's it called um, the trap centibite is. Uh, she's able to run and steals the configuration. And she's actually able to unlock the Cenobites or, or free the Cenobites by unlocking like the metal doors. Um, and she go, well, while she goes um, to save Colin, uh, you know, at this point she sees that, or yeah, she goes to go save Colin, who's been confronted by the mother. And he starts being wrapped up in like barbed wire, like mm-hmm. all over his uh, chest and all over, uh, all over his arms, and it like starts gripping into him. Um, to which Riley shouts that she, you know, to stop, and that you know she's the one in control, and that she can decide who the last sacrifice will be. At this point, after realizing that who that Trevor kind of set her up to be sacrificed. She ends up stabbing him with the final configuration, marking him as the new uh, sacrifice. And as he falls down uh, because of the gut wound, he immediately gets wrapped up in the same barbed wire stuff that was wrapping around um, Colin and just immediately starts getting ripped apart. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very satisfying because it's like, you got this guy that's just been using Riley the entire movie and finally he gets his comeuppance and you don't trust the guy, but you don't think he's actively evil until the big reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's how I felt. I don't know if you felt any different to the character. Uh, he felt more objectively evil to me, but <laughs> <laughs> at the very least, I thought he was just an asshole. I didn't think he was actually going to be evil, but you know, once he's revealed to be fully evil and gets his, I was like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> so as he's dragged to hell, um, Voight begins to bargain with the priest that he wants a different gift, and um, she or the the priest promises to take away uh, to take away the the gift of uh, sensations and give him the gift of power instead because mm-hmm. we learned that the Cenobites can't take away gifts, only exchange them. Ugh, and that device that's inside of his body that's like running every couple of minutes mm-hmm. and like pulling what looks like veins, like <laughs> it looks absolutely disgusting. So when she prom- when the when she promises to give him a new gift, like everything like falls apart inside of it <laughs> it is gross it's like ugh. it's like picture like just screws and like bits like just staying stuck inside your skin it just grosses me out just thinking about it 
And as like everything falls out of the open chest wound, he heals up and he looks completely back to normal. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Voight thinking he's safe, it suddenly gets impaled by one of the chains coming from the Leviathan pyramid, and it starts pulling him up as he's promised uh to to be given power. Mm-hmm. Um as Riley and Colin are kind of trying to escape the house, um, she's confronted one more time by the priest who offers to resurrect Matt as part of her gift. Um, Which her now having seen what the gifts are, it's like Matt would come back, but he wouldn't come back in any recognizable form for her or any form in which she'd like to see him. Like he literally would have come back as like a hideous setabite. Oh, or she uh, or I think he would have come back as Frank. Like maybe just this creature she needs to constantly feed other bodies for him to be for sure. You know, I mean, well she in some ways she was, right? The priestess was the priest was telling her like to feed to feed the box so that mm -hmm. so that she could have a chance of bringing her brother back. So instead, um, Riley refuses any of the gifts, um, knowing what kind of happens to the rewards. So the mm. priest tell, uh, tells her that she's given that she must now live with the guilt of her uh, actions, so that she must live with the gu- the gift of lament. Um, at this point, the box goes back to its original form. Uh, the Cenobites uh, just disappear. Uh, and Riley and Colin end up leaving the mansion. Um, and you know, as they're leaving, uh, as they're as they're leaving, Colin asks Riley if she made the right choice. To which she kind of like stays silent over. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we get shown Voight, who's like crucified within the Leviathan pyramid. And we see that he starts becoming flayed and ripped apart, um, essentially saying that the new power he's going to get is turning him into a Cenobite. And roll credits, and that's Hellraiser 2022. Yeah, we, we I feel like we went through this very quickly, but at the same time, I, it felt long. <laughs> and There's it's a, a lot pretty, of stuff that happens. But it's a pretty brisk movie. Like, it goes by pretty quickly. Like, I remember watching it, and next thing you know, I was like, oh, well, we're, like, already, like, halfway in the movie. Then I look up again, I'm like, holy crap, the movie's almost over now. You know what's and, crazy, uh, though? It still has a two-hour runtime. It's That's pretty insane, because it feels so quick. Like, it feels like a 90-minute movie to me. And, um... Even the story, like the like the the synopsis, like I feel like goes by pretty quickly. But um, all right, well, I guess the the, the best way to get through this is uh, Javi. You know, do you like Hellraiser twenty twenty two? Yeah, I like it. I don't think it's a movie I'm going to come back to, but I also kind of felt the same way about the first Hellraiser. Like, I'm not crazy about Hellraiser as a franchise. Um, I think it, I think this one's really interesting. Um, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's going to be a movie that I come back to too often. Like I like, I like some of the changes, um, they do with the characters. Like I like, I like that it's not a beat for beat remake of the 87 Hellraiser. Uh, I think Riley is an interesting character in the sense that, she starts off mean very she's like i can see why people see her as unlikable in the beginning of the film but 
I like, I think her arc is interesting and seeing her grow into someone that um, can fight off the, the Cenobites and fights off kind of the temptation of the Lament configuration. Um, I feel like the going the route outside of just like the hedonistic lifestyle or having that kind of push and pull between the hedonistic lifestyle Vought versus, uh, you know, fighting your addiction as bright, like the story that Riley's going through. I think that's a really interesting kind of way to go with the Hellraiser movies, especially with Hellraiser being a story of always like the giving into excess and your carnal desires. Um, so it's interesting to have a character who's dealing with those consequences and is constantly fighting against it. Um, I think it kind of adds a whole nother layer to the movie. Uh, that being said, I mean, there's nothing in this movie that particularly wows me, too. Like, I feel like outside of, like, the outside of the the mother and the priest, the the, the other Cenobite designs look like generic Doom monsters, in my opinion. <laughs> so I'm not really a huge fan of all of them. Plus, we didn't really get to see what all of them can do. Um, I do feel it's kind of weird uh, and kind of a weird cop-out to always have them teleport to the pain dimension whenever there's a kill. Uh, we also don't see a solid kill from the Cenobites till like maybe like two-thirds in the movie, maybe halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm also, I also feel kind of weird about that. But I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's worth checking out once, but I can totally see someone being like, eh, that was enough for me, dog. <laughs> yeah what about Um, you angel did you like this movie no i definitely did uh i did like it and i did it's again not being someone who knows all the movies in this franchise it did enough to remind me of that original movie and um it just like to me that original hellraiser movie is pretty good like even the music there was a lot of musical cues to the original hellraiser theme which is like a pretty good like horror theme and if you hear it like you'll recognize it i'm not gonna hum it for you but if you listen to but if you like search for the hellraiser theme and listen to it you'll notice there was a lot of musical cues to it in this movie as well and um i i think this movie kind of sits in the same place where all these like sequels sit because you know now we have like halloween ends coming out we have this came out prey came out as a sequel to to predator and i feel like they're really good there there are really good solid entries into these like old franchises i think the reason why much like you i probably won't come back to it uh very often is not because the movie is bad or isn't that interesting it's because we're in a period of horror films right now where where non-franchise movies or you know indie horror is so good that you know it's like when you do when you are watching something as part of the franchise just you know bring it make it modernize it for us a little bit you know bring it into something that feels a little bit more current mm-hmm. you know come up with the come up with uh, something that's worth watching like they did with prey like they did with this it doesn't have to be mind-blowing it doesn't have to be the best entry in it um but just do something that 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 gets us interested and, and gets us to watch it on hulu right um which you know for franchises like this and for predator which were like just churning out shitty ass sequels for a really long time mm-hmm. it's nice to have people kind of bring back some quality control to it and between this and the 2021 uh candy reboot i feel like these uh 
kind of like updates of these Clive Barker, uh, you know, uh, stories are, if nothing else, at least putting, you know, these old characters in a fresh point of view that's uh that's that's good enough worth watching so it is a good movie i if you haven't seen it i recommend watching it but i much like javi i'm not going to go back and continue to watch it and just you know it it was good but it was good and it was worth uh, seeing and it's funny you mentioned prey because it's one of those movies like it's interesting prey i've already seen three times since it came out the only I have I I want to I still haven't seen the Comanche cut uh, Comanche cut however you pronounce I think it's Comanche, but um, but yeah like I still haven't seen that cut yet but I've already seen the movie three times because it's like that movie wowed me. Prey is so better than much. this, by the way, and uh, and once we do it on the podcast, I'll, I'll dig deeper into my thoughts on this. But oh, but, absolutely. but at least but at least much like what Prey does, again, it just it makes it makes these things worth revisiting again. Oh, absolutely. But it's, it's just, it's interesting how you say it's like, yeah, modernize it or do something different. Cause that's all prey did. All prey, mm-hmm. all prey did was, uh, you know, put in a different setting um, with different types of characters in, in the 1700s. Same thing with this movie. It took, it takes the core concept of Hellraiser and puts updates it, but, um, but yeah, just gives us something different and something to entice you, especially in a time right now where Hulu is just like, you know what? Here are feature length films that should get theatrical releases, but we're giving them straight to your eyeballs. Well, also the fact that they're not just doing a shot for shot remake and that they're not just doing all the same characters. Like it feels it, it feels good. Like it just feels like a, a television series or like some sort of spinoff as opposed to. Like, you know, it just in some ways it respects the franchise that came before it by not having to 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 reference or disregard any of it. It just mm-hmm. so so I appreciate that bit of it as well. Um, anyway, we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show. Uh, please continue to interact with us on social media. Leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts if you can. Leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps like, uh, you know, pull up, bring out the uh, it helps us like get the show out there. Um, and also rate the show on Spotify. If you listen on Spotify, um, we're getting closer and closer to Halloween. So we're going to have, I think at least two or three other episodes before we're actually at Halloween, uh, the holiday. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, I'm glad, again, I'm glad to be back on the show, you know, chatting with you after like several months hiatus. It is pretty cool to be, uh, sitting here chatting movies. And, um, it's just right now, as I said, it's, it's a really nice, time where first we we went months i feel like after nope we went months where new stuff wasn't coming out anymore mm-hmm. and right now we're just going through like a period where because it is almost halloween that like a lot of like new stuff is premiering like Dude, <laughs> it like it is actually 2022 is low-key a great year for horror fans mm-hmm. because like there's a lot of stuff that went to streaming that has been very good and creepy <laughs> between like things like Hellraiser, Fresh, or How Halloween Ends is on Peacock. Um, but also things like Barbarian X and Pearl, like getting uh theatrical releases and killing it because those movies yep. are actually pretty and good. And also Shudder's doing like a VHS sequel that's gonna be coming straight to Shudder as well on the 20th. So oh, a what? lot of stuff right now. It is it is a lot of horror stuff right now. Yeah, so this is the time to be a horror fan. Twenty twenty two has been sick, but uh, should we tell them? Should we tell the the little boys and girls what we're gonna do next? Uh, you can do it. Yeah, you can announce what we're doing next week. 
All right. Next week, prepare yourselves for the end of an era as we will be reviewing Halloween ends. So Which, I'm re- at the time that we're recording this, I've already seen. <laughs> I'm actually I have your peacock open. Wait, phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> open wide, baby, because here I go. <laughs> but yeah, I have it um queued up. I'm probably gonna watch it tonight. Um, probably gonna watch it again just to get more more thoughts on it. Oh, yeah. Let me just I'm gonna say this now before you've even watched it the first time. You probably will need to watch it again because me having just seen it last night, I'm telling you, uh, the ending, the only thing that I've really said to anyone who's asked me about it is the ending of that movie is genuinely unexpected for me. It's, it's just, it, it was just something I was not expecting. So for better or worse, it was unexpected for better or for worse. That's right. So yeah. if you want to hear the rest of it, uh, come back next week and listen to us, uh, chat, uh, Halloween ends until then we'll see you guys later. Talk to you guys next time. Peace.